All right, Damo, finally, finally, mm-hmm. we've reached the ton. Well, more than the ton, 100,000. We've reached 100,000 members today as we go to air. I've got a uh, multiple choice quiz for you. You ready? Mm, yeah. Oh, that's, that's huge. 100,000 members. Okay, right. Cool. How did Collingwood achieve 100,000 members for the first time? A, by winning. Mm. B, by playing attractive footy. C, by fudging the books with one-game memberships, etc. <laughs> D, all of the above. Uh, I'm going to go E, none of the above. Ooh. I'm going to go with just the supreme leadership of none other than the coloured button maestro, the pinstriped bon vivant, Jeff Brown, who... Made one of the most absurd claims we've ever heard on on Pie Hut, and we've heard some really absurd claims actually. We have at the start of the season. I think it was just after they'd given out seven buckets of chicken, and he <laughs> was he was on stage with none other than the uh, MC extraordinary extraordinaire Glenn Moriarty, and they were talking oh, yeah. about their hopes and dreams for the season. And of course, Jeff Brown in a um, in a nod back, a hark back to Eddie Maguire days, came out with a bombastic quote that Collingwood would be aiming for 100,000 members. And, yeah. oh, Q, didn't the, didn't the fans come out, fix your salary cap first, fix your list first, let's start playing some attract. Let's just get, let's get some basics right, Jeff, before we start making these absurd uh, membership claims. And we are on the verge of a final season playing, well, you could argue all of the above. And it's funny, there was, you're right, there was disgruntlement about, I think, the quality of the memberships. Yeah. And you know, what they're sending in the box in mm. terms of the lanyard and the scarf mm. and the quality of the- No cap. Quality of the, the silks scarf. Wouldn't that be good, actually, a silk kind of a silk number in the uh, membership box? But <laughs> A cravat. Those those uh, complaints have kind of quietened right down- Dissipated. As, we, as we've played some some really good footy. But I just cast my eye over the first year or so of the, uh, the Jeff Brown presidency today, Damo, and bear with me. I've, I've struck a little list. Yep. Now, what's he got right? McRae, he had a hand in the McRae appointment, I suppose, at least setting up the conditions for that and, and McRae's staff. I think the bloodless coup <laughs> where he managed to take over, we thought it was going to be Tommy guns and beheadings and mm. guillotines on the steps of Versailles, but it was mm. Mercuria survived as vice president. <clears throat> yep. Um, Corder su- su- survived <clears throat> amazingly yep. to see out his term. Anderson, the CEO, survived. So it wasn't as ugly as it could have been. I'll give him a thumbs up for that. Mm. He has let Graham Wright do what Graham Wright does. Does, yep, absolutely. That's important. I think if we look back on the 2022 Premiership in years to come, I think that Graham Wright as the mastermind, as the crang, um, the brain in the box, will get a lot of credit for that. Do better. Um, I think whether it's Jeff Brown's, Jeff Brown's fingerprints in this or not, the fact is there was a major coup getting Leon and Cracker back to the club. Mm-hmm. It's the most significant step in that process that we've seen well, we this do year. It- we can say that Jeff was partly responsible because we do know that he was he, he went out and visited the the lads like he went mm. out and spoke to them so he he's part of that part of that unit and it's under his tut- under his leadership so that's fair, a tip. Fair. So what else has he done right? Awkward comments at boozy club events. I think um, misconstrued comments <laughs> as we covered a few podcasts ago. Which 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 to be fair, the the humor was on point. It was just the audience. It was the crowd. They just oh, okay. weren't, yeah. They weren't uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Blame yeah. the audience. Yeah. Emergency junkets to Dubai with, with <laughs> That's Dacos. right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Sent 
sent Big tech. Peter Dacos and- to the Emirates headquarters <laughs> as a as a you know. Yeah, which to stand oh. to stand on some kind of massive water wall and <laughs> seduce the chic princes yeah. of of the Emirates, teach them how to handball, teach them how to handball, and of course he's famously, uh, as you picked up, um, he was wearing the boosted Vans, was it on that trip, uh, yeah. which was good to yeah, see. Yeah, he was, he was, he was wearing the the the, the Converse uh, risers. And this is where things get really mm. really pro, Jeff. Mm. He managed to humiliate Koch again, Koshi. Yep, yep. Um, he humiliated Koshi more than has been than Eddie did in the past because he made Koshi think that we were working with him, collaborating, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then right. just did a smackdown. That's with right. The, um, the teal and that's right. Teal and black um, stripes. That's right. Yeah, he came. He came back with a solution. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good. Yeah, so good. He's um he's managed to bring cola back into the lexicon. We love yep. cola. Yeah, it's just again just more. Fuel for disagreement across borders. Um, of course, the pies have gradually got back on Broadway. Although mm. I must say, Sundays have been a hunt- happy hunting ground mm. this year. Um, and of course, last but not least, 100,000 members, uh, which he fortuitously, almost a Brendan Gale esque kind of prescient uh, yeah. comment there some months ago. He uh, he put that on the agenda. So good on you, Jeff. I thought you were going to dive into him stealing my party pie at the uh, President's Club function. <laughs> All right, that's the best. That's clearly the best single act the President has done. He's He stole party pie. Hard's party mm, pie yeah, at the President's yeah. Club. There's not, there's not that many to go around either. <laughs> this is Pie Hard. Looking at Collingwood today, it's hard to imagine that this was one of the toughest suburbs in Melbourne. I have a magpie tattooed in a certain spot. I wouldn't say it's the biggest magpie getting around. Out of control brawl outside a Collingwood pub. 60 years ago, it was lined with boot factories. As gritty, grotty suburbs in prime locations turned into trendy hotspots. One's had five bounces, nearly get another one. He's the smartest guy on the team. Because we don't have too many to pick from. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. The bubbles bursting three decades of grand final wobbles. I still can't believe it. I can. Oh. A weekend order by the club of 288,000 cans to be consumed. More comfortable with myself. That's as close as you'll get to greatness, you peanut shutter. Okay, hello Alex, hello everyone. Pie Hard's a cultural commentary podcast about the mighty Collingwood Football Club where we unearth the hidden stories, the strange beauty and the offbeat and absurd culture of the mighty Maggies and beyond. And boy, do we have a very special episode for you guys today. Mm. A very special pre-finals episode uh, where we were, we floated this on, on Twitter. It's been a long time between drinks. It's been a long time since we've had a member of the Rat Pack on the pod. Too long. Mm. Too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benny Johnson was the the last member of the pack. Now, we, do, ten. we do have uh, a special guest none other than Heath Heater Shaw um, joining us a little later on. I can't wait for that. Uh, we have a number of questions for Heater um, mm. that are going to rip the lid off uh, some of the backroom dealings at the Lexus Centre around the era of the late 2010-2011 Mighty Magpie uh, era. So I can't mm-hmm. wait to get stuck into that. But before we do, let's let's talk about the here and now. There's so many... Crazy Collingwood stories flying mm, around the ether. On, bit going on. Lots going on. We've just hit the hundred thousand mark, as you said. We it's been a, a lot happens in the Collingwood universe in a couple of weeks, or since the last time we did a pie hard. So we've got a lot to cover off now. To kick off, 
I'm going to start off with a with a with a bit of, with a quiz with a question for you, Alex. Okay, hit me. What do automotive rubber parts and female Colombian singers have in common? Oh, gee whiz! They've both got wheels. Their ammunition. Now, their ammunition for none other than Collingwood coach Fly McRae. You would have seen this. Everyone was talking about it. It was twofold. The first one, and didn't Lee Matthews love the simplicity of this message? But he was talking about the flair. He was talking about the risk with the Collingwood players. He was talking about not being afraid to make some mistakes on the field. And his analogy, his brilliant analogy in that amazing come from behind win against Carlton was to treat everything like a windscreen wiper. Now, yeah, I assume yeah. it's on a, um, I don't know, a late model Lexus or something. Maybe it's a vintage car. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Craig McQuaid drives, but clearly he's been driving a lot in the rain because we all know what a windscreen wiper does and it very effortlessly, mechanically wipes away yeah. not just water, spit, didn't we cover the inventor of the windscreen wiper like 20 pods ago? I'm assuming, well, that's kind of the stuff we would cover off uh, yeah, on the Pie yeah. I think it was some kind of um, implement, but I, I saw the note from Lee Matthews that really, you know, just sort of brought home just the simple effectiveness of Fly McRae's messaging. Now, I'm going to offer. What did Lee say? He said, he said, use that analogy as just a very simple way of communicating to, to a playing group. He was just praising McRae for his choice of analogy, basically. Ah, uh, got it. So he's, a, he's an analogy guy. From Lee. the master. Now, of course, yeah. Lee is going to pump up McRae because McRae mm. is going to credit everything back to Lee. So it's this, you know, cyclical kind of beast of a circle. But there was, there was, there, McRae doesn't get off scot free here because I was watching um, the front bar which mm. is a, a football program on Channel 7, um, the other week when he was on. Did you watch that segment when McRae was on the front bar? I saw an image of his jump, his uh, flannel, uh, but I didn't see it. Well, it's about the flannel, right? So, And he's done this a couple of times this season. He's been asked about something he's wearing or he's commented on something he's wearing. And right. he's, ma he's made the comment that he doesn't know his wife buys his clothing for him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Have you picked up on this? No, <laughs> continue. A little bit wary of some men that don't um, shop on their own when it comes is, to the ice. It's just this, not something I would why, ever um, consider. Is this why Fly's wife wasn't able to make it to the Voss dinner? Because she's busy at home on the iconic on ASOS. Kind of, <laughs> ASOS. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But we'll have it when we finally get Craig McRae on. That's our hard question. That's our opener. Um, ask him if he's ever bought a shirt. Uh, in his life, but there's one other there's one other analogy that we were loving from Craig McRae, and it's the second part of my quiz. Mm. Um, now, of course, he was talking. I think he was talking about goal kicking, and I think he'd isolated a couple of the players who had missed mm. set shots at goal. Walk, working through the 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 um, the the movement, the goal kicking kind of um, approach that the players were using, mm. and use the analogy of the Shakira um, MTV smash hit Hips Don't Lie mm. to just correct the um, the players in terms of their goal-kicking run-up because, of course, if the hips are facing the goals, um, you're more likely to kick it through the big fat sticks. So 
A little bit of insight there into Craig McRae's driving habits, a little bit of insight into Craig <laughs> McRae's shirt buying habits, and a little bit of insight into Craig McRae's uh, jukebox CD setup at home. I think that one of the challenges for any coach, any new coach, is getting the balance right with your analogies because if you're looking to have a long career, you can easily kind of use, use up yeah, all your use up material. all your gold. I agree. I agree. He's I think it's interesting in year one that he's gone deep into pop, the pop lexicon. Yeah, he has. Already. And yeah. I wonder what, what's next year, like metal? Could we have some Slayer references or something a bit edgier? Well, like this is all about love and being yourself and pop music. I think that he's going to have to expand his repertoire in coming years. Or just hire, you know, a, a writer, someone who just one of the best in the field at coming up with analogies or even just, you know, dark pursuits on Reddit. I think he could keep churning these out. I think yeah. it's a bit of an endless well, but he is going very hard very early and would be ripe for a book of like McCrayisms. You know, those books where it's like every, you know, every page just has like a a witty sort of one or two line think- I think Beveridge is also known as a context king in terms of storytelling. Quirky. I've, ne- I've never told you this, um, Damo. Oh, I've never told anyone heart, this. Pie heart exclusive. Okay. All right. Stop what you're doing. If you're driving um, a car, pull over. I might get a call from Gil. Go. Um, Let's after do it. this, getting in trouble. because I, I'm glad you've, you've saved it until um, episode, what are we, 52? <laughs> well, what happened, Damo, was I did some work for the AFL. And Ooh. it was just a contract job. So, mm. you know, there was there was a nothing in the contract. <laughs> a hit job. Nothing in the contract <laughs> per se about not mm. being able to divulge mm. some of the Western Bulldogs IP. Um, but I can tell you that, um, and I reckon this was this was last year. Okay, so it's probably expired anyway. But I was in the Western Bulldogs headquarters down at West Nova. It was quite difficult to gain access for a shoot I was conducting into the gymnasium because it's their inner sanctum and they were jealously guarding, you know, their spot. And they they gave us certain caveats to accessing the gymnasium. They said, you can't shoot this and that. You can't shoot while we're training. You can't shoot particular rehab. Boring. All that stuff. But they, the main one was you can't shoot that wall up there. I uh, look up and it's like, I can't remember the slogan, but it's a flying boat from Peter Pan. What? Yeah, like in a huge mural painted, kind of airbrushed overlooking the Western Bulldogs uh, gymnasium. There was a quote from Peter Pan, something really aspirational and dreamy, um, which obviously failed them on the biggest night of all in Perth later that year. But, yeah, yeah, I think given context to um, and and storytelling is such an interesting part of the coaching craft and I think that, I reckon Fly is just starting to show his cards and his creativity in that department. He's only going to get better. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Fantastic. Peter Peter Pan murals and Fly McRae analogies. It's um, it's all popping off in season twenty twenty two. What have you got? My hard no. So that was your hard yes. Was uh, oh, sorry, I forgot to say. Yeah, I forgot to kick that off by saying we are of course doing hard yes and hard no. Alex, what's your hard no? I think Fly McRae is, is certainly broken all records for hard yes. I think that he's a hard yes <laughs> oh every my God. single week. Every single week. And this guy, this guy is he's never been in the hard no segment because we love him. Hmm. Um, but do you see the news, Damien, um, that uh, there was some thieving that went down in recent days which has affected some key members of the Magpie playing group? Do you see this? Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't seen this. I don't know how this one escaped my uh, my gaze. Collingwood Ruckman Mason Cox is pleading 
for the return of his prescription glasses after they were stolen from his apartment complex this week. Now, this is <laughs> stop laughing. Stop laughing. This is serious. Like this well, is someone not broke into his Oh my god. It's not like stealing okay. a pair of footy boots no. where the sponsor just forks out. Yeah. Because they're prescription glasses and there's a chance that he might not be able to see come Saturday night. <laughs> How Cox did I miss to, this? <laughs> He, uh, quote, quote from Cox, I didn't think this would happen to me, Cox said. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's in the war in Ukraine, but um, yeah. <laughs> actually he's just had a pair of glasses stolen. Yeah. Cox shared a picture of a police Melbourne police station thanked the staff who took the report of the theft. It's been well documented this season his prescription goggles are essential, said Jeff Brown's son. His Friday started at the police station. He just told me in the mail room of his apartment overnight a new pair that have come up from Colac have been stolen. Teammate Braden Maynard also pleaded with the thieves to return Cox's glasses. Mm. I actually did see something on social media. Please give them back, said Maynard. He needs them. We need them. <laughs> and that's the point is this does not bode well because no, this is bad. the article goes on bad. to say for the first time um, the extent of his injuries. And so it appears that not having his glasses could be like a – it's almost like you wouldn't play him. It's that serious. He said, essentially, half my eye was pulled off. This is going back to the injury. Half my retina fell off and I had to go into hospital, sew the thing back up and was blind. For 45 minutes of every hour, I was on my back staring at the ceiling, unable to see for two weeks, two weeks in a dark room alone, not being able to see. People talk about quarantine being bad. Get a finger in the eye, sit in the house, not being able to get out of bed for two weeks and then talk to me. So that was the postscript of Mason. <clears throat> so the hard I, no, Damo. Yeah, before yeah. before I hand over, the thieves. hard no is Must not be thieves. Is it? It's not the thieves. <laughs> okay. It's not the thieves. It's the smear, the heartless smear that you performed earlier in the year on one eight hundred I Sports in Colac when you said that his his special goggles were worth sixty bucks. Yeah. Turns out, Damo. They're reportedly worth between three and four thousand dollars. So this is some high tech shit. <laughs> or are they worth three and a half or four thousand dollars because Cox has worn them? Oh, you reckon it's like memorabilia <laughs> yeah, straight, straight on the dark so, web. So hang on, let me understand this. So thieves right. broke into Mason Cox's apartment mm. and was that the only item stolen or did they, they ransack the joint? They could have taken the Apple computer. Yeah, yeah. The Panasonic yeah, yeah, TV. Yeah. Yeah. The Dyson Power Blade. But they just left all that stuff. They picked up the goals. They know what they're after. Mm. This is, you know what this is? This is a planned heist. Yeah. This is an opposition. A friend of the pod who will go unnamed mm. um, for legal reasons said mm. that he was happened to be down at the Cattery this week. And he said that he was, um, he said that he was potentially going to sprinkle some anthrax through the, uh, the change <laughs> I rooms. Re- I did read that. I did, look, I did read that. <laughs> I did, re- I did read that. Hasten to add, if mm. there's any sickness in July, mm, 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 mm. this was a fiction. did not occur. <laughs> did not occur. But Fan I feel this, this Cox goggle theft, it feels like something. It feels like a conspiracy. Does it not? Oh, it's just too, the timing is off here. It's just too. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's nice, though, to have a Victorian police story at Collingwood that involves theft of a Collingwood player, not. A Collingwood player <laughs> involved in theft? Unless unless it turns out to be Dane Beams and then mm. we're in trouble again. But, um, <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> oh, right. Delete that bit. Yep. Delete um, that bit. Uh, anyway, Damo, to finish on a positive note, um, I would like to offer the thieves yes. and 
there's a good chance the thieves are pie hard listeners, are regulars. Absolutely. I would like to offer the thieves the reported $4,000 value of the glasses in cash, which if they return the goggles um, to us, if they get in touch and return the goggles in the next 24 hours, we will officially do a GoFundMe yep. and we will we will raise the money through the Pie Hard Legions, which will take about three seconds Yep. because of the importance of this man to our side, and we will pay them off, okay? Mm. We will arrange a handover where they'll put the glasses in a brown paper bag um, and drop it under Graham Wright's desk with the yep. other brown paper bags. Love it. And all will be well for Saturday. We need to get this scoop on Pie Hard before Mason Cox gets it on his own podcast he has a podcast now um i just feel like if we could get that if we could get the thief on the next episode of pie hard mm. do a fast mm. 45 minutes just to talk through the contents of um of the hessian sack that he walked out imagine of that Now, let's keep moving. We've got a lot of news to cover off. We've got some items. Let's not dive into Let's not spend too much time on these because no. we'll yeah. be here all Big day. Fire. We, we want to get to the Heat Shore interview. But I do have a couple of updates for you. Now, the first mm-hmm. one I'm calling Japan and Collingwood Diplomacy. Now, I'm not sure if you saw this one, um, Alex, and you'll, you'll love this. I, I know you will. Let me just pull mm-hmm. it up. So, Alex, the ambassador of Japan to Australia, Ambassador mm-hmm. Yamagami Shingo. Shingo, yep. Posted this on August the 27th. Now, it's a photo of the ambassador with a push bike. Looks to be in Canberra, I'm assuming. I guess that's where the uh, embassy is. Now, Mm. he's wearing a helmet. Oh, let me just talk through the caption. Dear Magpies, how about we call it a truce this swooping season? Look, (laughs) I'm even trying to blend in more. Now, he's wearing a Collingwood jumper. Mm, That's not blending in. Quote. If the urge to go after my helmet proves too tempting, have a complimentary chopstick. Now, he's got chopsticks sticking Ah, out of this helmet. Chopsticks instead of cable ties. Yep, instead of cable ties. Now, he goes on to say they're scented with sushi and Wagyu beef, (laughs) an emoji symbol (laughs) of a um, licking your face, smiley face emoji. Yours in respect, YS. Huge. Yeah. I tell you what, if, if you really want to get rid of the magpies, the sushi and wagyu is not going to do it. That's going to attract them. You want some wasabi on those chopsticks. I thought that's where he was going with it. I thought it was going to be a bit of a stinger. Yeah, poison them. Beak, yeah. beak stinger, but love to but see that. But what's he wearing, though? That's the, that's the key factor. What yeah. else is he wearing? Yeah, so you can't really see what he's wearing below the waist, but he's he's not wearing a Collingwood jumper. He's wearing one of those Collingwood-themed Christmas jumpers, you know, those really naff yeah. sort of like Christmas knitted jumpers with a big logo. It's it's I don't know what's going on, but it's... We bloody love it. <laughs> we bloody well, love he's it. Well, he's the newest member of the celebrity arms race, let's be honest. Could, I mean, could, could, be, could be a reason why we've just hit 100,000 if we've got half of goddamn Tokyo jumping on the Magpies train ahead of the finals. You're going to get a big cool. uptick on pet memberships. I think he's a big get demo. And if you think about it, we've been moving mm. into the diplomatic core for a while. Yeah. We've had Dacos in Dubai doing yeah. his diplomacy. We go back a bit. We've had Heritier um, swooning with the Dalai Lama. Mm. This is just the newest chapter in the celebrity arms race, and I'm liking it. So good on you. Welcome on board, um, and I hope they can, he can make it to the game. All right, next item. Now, we're going to America for this one. We're going to the baseball. It was the Subway Series recently between the New York Yankees and the New York Mets, mm-hmm. the Crosstown rivals. 
And I don't know if you saw this on um, on socials, but it sort of blew up and everyone was sharing it. I think it might be fake. Not sure, mm. but we're going to cover it anyway because we've been talking about meat pie cannons. We've been talking about bringing, you know, um, basically like pipe. What are, what were they called? You used to shoot yeah. the lemons out of them? It was a T-shirt cannon. Pipe cannons, T-shirt cannons. Um, and there was a photo of a man uh, in, the, in the stadium, in the stands. Now, he had with him a what looked like a chopstick, mm. speaking of, uh, and he had a hot dog Frank Frankfurt. Now, he, okay. he jammed the chopstick right through the centre of the hot dog lengthways to create a straw, a meat straw, picked, oh, up, right. picked up a beer and proceeded- To drink through the hot dog. To drink his beer through the hot dog. And I just want to, I don't know if I've seen anything, I haven't seen anything like that before at a game or at a sporting thing. And it got have my- you ever, Have you ever taken the hot dog thermos to the footy? No, but I'm a big, big, big believer in the uh, in a thermos dog. I think it's a great concept. I don't, I, we don't see enough of it. Um, it works, and it, it, they stay hot for so long. It's delicious. I've got one. Um, I've got a thermos which is exclusively used for hot dogs. Brilliant. I've kind of moving away from the traditional boiled dog okay. into more of a, an American Sausage. style on the grill. No, no, no. A hot dog, a hot oh, dog frankfurter. Okay. But just just grill it on on a barbecue. I think you just get you get a bit more of a smoky flavor than just sort of like a reconstituted boiled hot dog. Look, I know that's controversial. I, look, I know I'm going to cop I'm going to cop heat for that. I know the pie hard um, DMs are going to be exploding by the time this thing drops. But yeah, I just like I like a bit of you know sizzle on my dog. Well, Damo, we do have the uh, inaugural or annual, I should say. Uh, Pie Hard Luncheon coming mm. up on Grand Final Eve, in mm. which we get together and we taste some of the uh, the best culinary delights that Melbourne has to offer mm. on that public holiday Friday. We could just we could go to a we go to a park and we could start doing some hot dog straws. Boil a hot dog in a trangia, do you reckon? Mm. Just un- un- underneath an overpass. I love it. <laughs> Tr- now we're gonna tra- one one <laughs> one more. Do you remember the trangia? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah so yeah, great. Yeah, 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 so, gas. Yeah, 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 so fiddly. Yeah, you heat it with a candle. It's good. No, but you, yeah, it's good. Um, all right, so the <laughs> next one, and then I'm going to throw to you on this one. So we we are big, big fans of mm. um, Healing Hands, the good Dr. Mm. Wolfhart over there in Berlin. Um, but it's, I think it's safe to say we don't need Healing Hands anymore because we have the barista. Now, I... I'm going to challenge the moniker, the barista. Now, this is, of course, Collingwood's head of high performance. What's his name? Absolutely. Uh, Jared Wade. Jared Wade. Wait, mm. Jared Wade. Wade. So, <laughs> Jared Wade, who we, Jared Wade. who we accumulated from the Rabbitohs in the offseason. Now, he yeah. struck us early on with his sort of barista look. I think it's a little bit more uh, in the vein of a uh, someone who brews, you know, uh, Pale ales or some kind of craft yeah, beer. Yeah, he's a craft. He's a craft brewer. He's a craft yeah. brewer that also has, you know, that does pulled pork and you know has mm. that sort of American barbecue thing. But mm. anyway, and massages. Anyway, what he's been able to do is potentially mm. bring none other than Nathan Kruger back to the fold after what seemingly was reported as a, a season-ending injury. Mm. He managed to get Dugowie back. When that was mm. looking, when that hip flexor reared its, reared its ugly head, 
And then now potentially, and I think Ginevan too had a niggle in the in the in the string, and he oh, got back. The, the list is goddamn endless. This is why we're yeah. anointing this this barista, the new healing hands. We don't need to send Jamie Elliott and Darcy Moore to the other side of the world anymore. No. He's, he's right home. He's, he's in the Lexus Center. I don't know what he's doing. He's doing some kind of Mr. Miyagi sort of, you know, I don't know. Mm. But it, it seems to be working. And, and that leads into Taylor Adams, who there's a little bit of speculation around Taylor Adams. We're not sure what's going to happen. We're not sure what this injury is, 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 is like, the severity. We saw him running. We saw him putting mm. in some sprints earlier in this week. I don't know if you've got anything to add to this one uh, at the moment, Alex. Look, the thing that struck me about Taylor Adams' comments today, he basically said, He's going to play. I thought that was a bit assuming. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, there is a selection. It's not, it's not looking good. It's not looking good, but I am going to play. Yeah, I'm going to play. Um, he also mentioned that he's going to play through pain um, and that he can cope with it. And if you're going to translate that, it means he's growing is absolutely fucked, but he's not, <laughs> he's not willing yeah, to miss a final series. Because yeah. like, history is littered with players that played with broken ribs. And I remember, what was it, Didac? 2010 had his shoulder was out of the socket. I mean, his arm was going to fall off, right? Yeah. Players, especially senior players who can who can feel the end coming, mm. they will they will do anything yep. to play in big finals because he can see shit, man. If I don't get into the team now, oh, yeah. and they win, what are they going to call me up for the preliminary final? I haven't played for like for six weeks. Like, yeah. It becomes pretty pretty hard. So it's damning. I think it's an all or nothing thing. And he's, when he says pain, I mm. think it means. Uh, he's he's kind of cooked, but he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna be brave and do the Tay Tay thing. Well, if Cox can play with a shredded cornea or a detached retina or whatever he's rocking, and mm. and no glasses because some true. someone's come in through the the cat true, door, true. cat door, and nicked his sunnies. Uh, I'm pretty sure Taylor Adams can stand up. I to think the that Taylor Adams just to, to finish off on that. I think that his game style probably does suit. You know, I don't think he needs touch because I don't think he ever really has much touch. He's a turnover king. But I think that his gutsy inside type, you know, demeanor mm. will suit coming into a big final. He's got the experience. And I think he's played well against the Cats. So to set the record straight, I think we will welcome him back. And I think that his personal self-declared match selection is probably going to is gonna happen. He's, he's like Pie Hard. He'll, he'll go through any pain just mm. to record an episode. Mental and physical, just to just to bring it to the to the legions to the crowd. Now we've got one more piece of hard news. It's a big, it's actually a big piece of hard news. I'm glad we've left it till last. Mm. And it this is not a just doesn't just impact Collingwood. This impacts the the league as a whole. And I, I want you to talk through what you've read this week, Alex. Is this the rewatch one? No, well. this was the grand part. This was the changes to the. Uh, I tell you, I don't, I don't, I didn't read about this. I got no fucking idea what this is. Oh, you, you, you tell me. All right, all right, all right. So, <laughs> okay, a little slight scheduling catch up there. So, I believe, <laughs> I believe that the AFL have announced that this year's grand final parade is going to be one for oh, the amphibious. Sorry, I didn't read this. The amphibious uh, okay, supporters okay. out there. So, look, there's been rumours and speculation that the grand final parade is going off road. Yeah. And into the uh, the murky depths of the polluted Yarra River. Oh yeah. Why not? Um, to be some kind of hybrid Birdman mm, rally yeah. meets um, Moomba 
I don't know what's going on. How good would Maynard be in the Birdman rally? Oh, Just he'd be phenomenal, wouldn't he? Launching off that platform. Yeah, yeah, he'd be good. He'd be good. The How- question that came to mind, Damo, was if the grand final parade is going to be staged on a series of floating vessels. Yes, yes. What would the Collingwood vessel or vessels look like to bring the maximum pizzazz <laughs> to the occasion? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good question and I haven't done any research on it, but just if, if I was on the... So this, think of it like it's a, it's like a Fourth of July style float. That's what I've got mm. in my. That's what what I've You're got like in my. Like a huge head. kind of like carnival style. So you'd have to you'd have to lean into obviously some cultural artifacts um, that the club has got at the moment. So I think the first float could be Travis Cloak's massive black. Stick with me on this one, Hummer. That he used okay. to that he yes. used to drive to the Lexus Center top off, so it'd be it'd be retrofitted to float, obviously. But I could see that mm. coming down. Um, Mason Cox's stolen goggles, potentially, yeah. if, you, if that could be crafted or fashioned into some kind of floating vessel. And the mm. last one would have to be just Eddie Maguire's head, but you know, puffed up and ballooned up into into <laughs> one of those inflatable you know like in Batman you know you know the first Batman with Jack Nicholson when he's given out all the cash okay. down the street yeah, yeah. And he's got that thing that it starts letting out all the green um, villainous gas I like it Tim I like how where you went with uh, the Travis Cloak Hummer because when I was a kid I thought boats were cool I thought cars were cool <laughs> cool but what was cooler cool. than either was hovercraft both. The duck? Were they called ducks? Oh, the or duck. Something? Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm picturing at the end of the rally, you've got um, Geelong team, you know, they've they've hit the kind of pontoon bridge and they've got to slowly file off, you know, and it's all a bit lame. The Collingwood float does a violent right-hand turn, mounts the bank, and it's revealed mm. that it's actually got off-road all-terrain tyres. Capabilities, yeah. And just rumbles on up. Uh, Birrarung Ma across yep. the bridge straight to the G. Oh, Jesus. I'm just on boatsonline.com.au. So I've just done a quick search of um, amphibious vehicles for sale. Now, there's a mm. Hydra, a Hydra Terra amphibious bus. The 2000 Hydra Terra amphibious bus, um, it is based in Brisbane, built in 2000. Have a guess. Have a guess at how much this guy's asking for his, um, his duck, his amphibious bus. Well, these these things are the heart of technology and they're cool. So I'm going to say 101,000. This guy wants $750,000. Woo! Incredible. Okay. Look, it's well, still, is it's, this it's, is that soft cap or It's be- <laughs> it's, it's doable with it. So <laughs> this is this is the legacy of Jeff Brown with 100,000 members. You can go out and junk, you know, 3 quarters of a million dollars on a How much is Brody, vehicle? Brody Grunigan paid this year? Uh, <laughs> oh, too soon. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, Damon, so yep. I've got a bit of hard news to finish this okay. up here. Drop it, um, drop it. Did you read about... Well, we're not uh, finishing off, are we? We're going to go straight in to our blockbuster interview. That's true. Stick around. <laughs> Pete Shaw. We're finishing ourselves off in the, the regular pie art <laughs> yes, circle. Yes, exactly. Yep. Did you or did you not read about Nick Rewalt's comments about being wooed by Eddie Maguire? You have no idea what you're talking about. It was fascinating stuff. So Rewalt's come out and he's lifted the lid on when Eddie Maguire approached him 
And if I can paraphrase while I furiously scroll through this <laughs> SEN article. Yep. Um, Just go to the top. Basically, it was 2013 mm. and reports began to circulate that other, other clubs were trying to pry Rewalt out of St Kilda. And at that stage, he was on these like rolling one-year um, contracts. I don't think they treated him very well. Like absolute, absolute legend of their club. And mm. he just got these one-year contracts. And let's not forget St Kilda was shit out at that time. Like they're well and truly their premiership contending window. Over. Their little sash window was closed. Um, and he says that Eddie played it beautifully. It was very well orchestrated. And if I can paraphrase, Eddie said to Rewalt, can you come around to my house? I want to talk to you about media opportunities post-footy. Rewalt gets... <laughs> Rewalt gets to Maguire's palatial mansion in Turak, Turak. and gets handed a uh, Peroni by the great man. They sit oh. down on the uh, the big distressed leather couch, consume their Peroni, and, it t- and Eddie turns to him and says, I didn't get you to here to talk about mm. the media. Yeah. <laughs> Hoodwinked. I got you here for another reason now. We all know what that was. Yeah. Um, and he ran it by him. He said, I'd just like you to consider it, um, you know, coming to Collingwood, he just wanted to implant it in his mind. But he didn't yep. go too hard. He just left, left him mm. with a taste of Peroni in his mouth. Fast forward, end of the season, uh, Rui is leaving to go overseas, um, post-season uh, trip, and he's sitting in the seat of the plane. Quote, I got a text message from Eddie Maguire saying, hey, Rui, I know you're sitting on the plane about to take off. <laughs> I'm like, how the fuck does he know that, <laughs> that I'm sitting on the plane right now? This is Eddie. He's got eyes. Yeah, He's got yeah, little yeah, sparrows. He, yeah. This was an Emirates flight, wasn't it? It must have been Emirates. All those women in the headscarves, mm. they, they know. Yeah, <laughs> they know. He goes on to say, I just wanted to give you this to think about while you're flying over the States. Oh, no. Rewalt was thinking, perfect. Now I'm going to have to be thinking about nothing else for the next 14 hours. Um, basically, Maguire mentioned that Brian Lake, who'd gone from the Bulldogs to the Hawks and won a premiership that year, um, made the brave decision to ditch that uh, club and go on to, to Hawthorne and it paid off. Yep. And he implanted the idea in, in uh, Rewalt's mind. Now, interestingly, Rewalt uh, said that he really uh, thought about it quite deeply, which well, is, I felt quite honest. And, you know, he, he said that things weren't going, you know, fantastically hmm. for uh, St Kilda at the time and that, you know, there was potential that Collingwood could, could be contending before them, which did, did end up happening in 2018, but... Collingwood was hardly flying high at that stage either. But the, the bit I like, Damo, I'm going to bring you in on. I'm just yep. looking for it here. But I'll tell you what I like about it. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I like about it. I love that he had it, he had him captive on that plane. So if mm. you deliver that message as you're sitting on the tarmac at Tullamarine Airport, you're just about to head to Ibiza or you're heading off to the Greek islands or you're heading, I don't know where you're going, Spain. There's a lot of alone time at 35,000 feet over India or Nepal. Yeah, just marinating with just that. Just marinating, just letting it. And, you know, you know, you do get this, this scientific sort of evidence that you do tend you get to emotional. get a little bit emotional, you know, it's okay. Yeah, I've, you know, the last time I cried, well, one of the last times I cried, I was on a plane and it was, I was watching the Amy Winehouse documentary. Oh, yeah, that'll do and it. And I had the same thought. I'm like, I'm, I'm so much more emotional than when I'm on normal altitude here. Mm. So, what's this is true. It's it's great strategy. The bit I like, Damo, he says, quote, um, Eddie's offer <laughs> in text in text message form. If you come to Collingwood, you'll be playing in front of seventy thousand every week. Anzac Day, blah blah blah. Yep. That's that's Rewalt saying blah blah blah. Yeah. Have your own personal travel agent to take care of your flights. <laughs> All of it. It was <laughs> just an unbelievable pitch in a text message. 
Wow. But I'm assuming this is the era of pie in the sky travel. I like the detail about the personal travel agent. Like that was going to be the kicker to get him over the line. <laughs> it is kind of cool though, isn't it? Like remember the days when you did have a travel agent? Because now it's, a lot of it's online, isn't it? So they like, can only go overseas once a year. Like what's the travel agent going to do for 11 months? I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, you know, chance of an upgrade is probably a little bit higher. I don't know. It's just that white glove service, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's like if shit goes pear, if you left at um, LaGuardia mm. without a trip home and you've got that number to punch. Bogota. Bogota. Mm. It's like, you know, like American Express, like, you know, Centurion card holders of American Express just have that number and it's just like, I don't know what I'm it sure is. the Centurion you just, you just is call it. Pitch. You just call it. Makes things go away. Makes things happen. So, I don't know. It's all. It's a compelling sell. Chuck in a Lexus. Throw in a Lexus and throw in some um, food from PFD Food Services. Yeah, he Quite didn't really mention that the really saucy, like actually valuable, you know, items which would have been thrown in. But we've spent a shit ton of, of this, cash. The start of this pod uh, pumping up well, Jeff Brown's tires. I'm just hoping, Damien, that he has the same nous, uh, and I'm hoping a that he's got a mansion in Turak, which I'm sure he does. And one in, you know, Rush, Rush Cutters Bay. But I'm hoping that this off season, Jeff Brown gets very busy with text messages onto the tarmac <laughs> of key forwards. Well, I love that you're talking about Nick Rewalt because guess what? What a perfect, sublime segue into the, this next guest. Now, <laughs> this true. this interview is going to creep up behind you. You're not ever going to know it. Uh, let's let's get straight into it. This is our. Let's get him on the line. Let's let's give him a let's give him a, a bell now. It's a Zoom call. Punch his details in, Alex, and let's uh, let's get into it. He's sure on Pie Hard. It's 2022, and supporters of the Collingwood Football Club have embraced the new age magpies with fervor. But in the heavily sanitized era of modern football. We rarely see football characters live up to their true potential. Cut from fine magpie cloth, the son of Ray, brother of Reese, and eventual stepson of Mick, Heath Shaw had Collingwood blood coursing through his veins long before he stepped foot inside the Lexus Centre. But far from being a facsimile of his favourite famous family, Heath Shaw was and still is his own man. Shaw would make his AFL debut late in 2005 and quickly establish himself as a magpie favourite for his youthful exuberance and ball-winning skills in defence. He rapidly became a major component of Mick Malthouse's team as a gut-running, penetrating halfback, building a formidable defensive unit with the other stars like Maxwell, Prestigiacomo, Wakelin, Lumumba, Clement and Tuvi. Busy, energetic, Lively and focused on the field, raucous, spirited, loud and hilarious off it. Heathshaw was a promoter's dream and a dietitian's nightmare. Heath found his groove in the high-flying magpie teams of the Ed Hardy trucker hat era. A refreshing anecdote to the AFL strike policies, beep tests and skin folds that would soon flood the game like a knockoff designer handbag. As a member of the Rat Pack's leadership group, Shaw would be the first and only member of the pack to play 300 AFL games. It takes hard work, dedication, and a really good legal team to see that kind of longevity. If the Rat Pack was an American rock band from California, Shaw would be the flea-like bassist, always moving, always talking, always rocking, loyal to a fault. But for all the off-field stuff, and there was a bit of it, 
He was deeply in tune with the game. He saw the game better than most, reading the play, anticipating moves, and summing up split-second situations like it was the most natural thing in the world. And being ashore, I guess it kind of was. He possessed a unique running gait that would make even the most hardened physiotherapist wince. But his leopard-like closing speed, single-minded will, and high-velocity determination was on par with the game's most fancied elite. For the 2014 season, in a stroke of marketing genius, the AFL sent him to Sydney to help grow the game and bring some much-needed culture to the Harbour City. And while Magpie fans bemoaned his treatment and sudden departure, the experiment was a roaring success. Months after the hard-partying shore arrived in Sydney, the New South Wales government would institute a series of draconian lockout laws that crippled the late-night hospitality industry. Coincidence? We think not. In 2020, he closed the chapter on his playing career with an enviable list of accolades. 2010 Premiership player, 2011 Wizard Cup winner, two-times All-Australian, Anzac Day medalist, and a member of the Q Police Station's Team of the Century. Fast forward to today and Heath Shaw is a modern-day captain of industry, a lord, a bon vivant, a reality TV star, and a cutthroat media analyst a raconteur, a connoisseur of fine wines, mid-century furniture and modern art. And boy, could he play footy. We missed him terribly when he left to don a prison jumpsuit in Punch Bowl. And it's great to welcome him back to the inner sanctum, Heath Shaw. Welcome to Pie Hard. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And um, it was probably the longest introduction of it. <laughs> it was, it was probably Long, I think it's the, the longest one. one we've done. So I was, I was actually waiting for it to end. I didn't know if I was actually going to have enough time left to put in. So uh, thanks for having me on board. I'm looking forward to having a good chat. It says a lot about you that that is by far the longest monologue we've ever done on Pie Heart. I actually wrote that waiting for my dad's car to be finished washing at a car wash. And as you can tell, it kind of wasn't the quickest car wash that we've ever had. Now, Heath, thank you so much for joining us. We always like to kick off Pie Hard with the hard questions. So I'm going to dive straight in if it's okay with you. Well, I can't say no, can I? Keith Richards credits his longevity to only taking pharmaceutical-grade narcotics. As the longest-playing member of the Rat Pack, what's been your secret? Uh, for me, this, the secret was um, know, know your body, and my body yep. doesn't really – like didn't like doing weights and my body didn't like eating that much, um, that many vegetables. Um, yeah. um, so right. I, I did things and I always say when I, when I retired, I did things and I did things my way. Um, in the professional um, sporting arena, probably wasn't the right way, but it was definitely my way. So I stuck to my guns. I held on. I didn't get sacked early on in my career. So I, um, the non-conforming with the weights room and the non-conforming with the dietitian, I believe, um, held me in pretty good stead. Is that stuff overcooked? Like, as as fans, is it is it is it that important, or can you be a really gun professional player without sort of um, diving into the full or, or prescribing to the entire piece? I think there's a fine balance. Um, you've got a somewhat I said, if I ever wrote, do something, if I ever wrote a book, I'd call it semi-professional because <laughs> I, did, I did train hard. I did love yeah. Woody. I did like 
obviously work on my game uh, yeah. a lot, the footy part of it. Um, but the other part, which they call the professional part, is the the off-field, the not going mm. out too much, not eating mm. the right foods, doing your weights, making sure you're prepared well the night before and all that sort of thing. And I, I probably didn't get the balance right for 90% of my career, but um, I got to 100% of my career the way that I did it. So yeah. um, for me, the semi-professional look on things probably helped me get to 300 games, helped me um, survive 16 years of footy, but it probably at one, two, three, ten parts of my career nearly ended it. So that's yeah. why I think yep. it would be an appropriate title um, yep. for a book if I ever wrote one. I think, f- I think the fact that you did it your way, I think, when all is said and done, that's mm. really what, what it's about, isn't it? Just being true to yourself, true to your character, authentic and um, and living your life the way you are. The way you normally would, and I think you you do that. No one, no Collingwood supporter or no football uh, supporter listening to this podcast would ever question the hard work that you did put in on the track because it was, was clearly evident um, in that grand final replay. Let's start in the now. We've seen thousands turn up to Collingwood training this week. When the high-flying pies were firing in the 2010 era, what role did the Magpie Army play for you personally, and, and does it help lift the team, or is that side of things overblown? I think, to be honest, obviously when I was um, at Collingwood and you go to training, you see a few hundred people at training, which is good, and that's what I had at um, most of the Giants games the first few years I was there. So um, for me, a, a crowd at training and a crowd like that was, was normal. Um, and during games, it's it's really weird because even if there's 90,000 people there, you don't really like hear the crowd because you're so entrenched in it. But when you're like sitting on the bench or when you sort of stop for a moment in between breaks, you hear more of the noise than, than any before. Um, mm. I think there was the game might have been 2007 pre or seven or nine prelim where we lost, we beat Geelong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 2007 we was the one we lost in Nathan's last game. Yes. And then. So, that, yeah, that not that one, the one we beat Geelong. So it might have been 210. 2010, we yeah. we smashed it. Yeah, yeah. you guys and just dominated. It was like half time, and we're up by 40 points. And the crowd and the noise of that game was probably mm. the best atmosphere. All positive, obviously, because it was Collingwood. The other atmosphere I had um, was at a grand final where I played for the other team that I played for, and there was about 2,000 Giants supporters. There was 98,000 Richmond supporters. And mm. it was honestly hard to hear. Um, but yeah. the crowd, it, whether it plays a difference, um, whether you win, lose or draw, no one really knows. You can't really measure it. But um, it is. there's nothing better than playing football in front of a huge crowd um, and having that, whether it's for or against, back and forth, it is, yeah, it's an unbelievable feeling and that's why you do it. And that's why when you retire or get sacked like I did, for the second time, um, <laughs> you miss you miss finals more than anything because you know yeah. this week there's going to be four four games being played and the crowds are going to be humongous. The atmosphere is going to be great, and most yeah. people out there don't get to play. Yeah, nuts. So Heath, you went from really playing on Broadway, which is what you're describing, to you know, with that being unfair, perhaps a regional community theatre up north. <laughs> was the was there a culture shock? In in kind of suddenly playing in 
in Western Sydney not having perhaps the attention up there that you, you would have at Collingwood? Oh, it is. It's honestly chalk and cheese. It's like it's the Rabbitohs and I thought, sorry, I think it's the Roosters in Sydney is probably the Collingwood of Melbourne. Right. Um, right. They are like next level and the app okay. is huge and it's like go from, yeah, like you said, from Collingwood going down to the Giants. It was it was a huge shock to the system, um, huge shot to the ego when you, you walk in, you're just about to walk into a nightclub and they say go and line up. Uh, <laughs> I had to do that in Melbourne. Still don't have to do that in Melbourne. Um, it is. It's a culture shock. It 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 isn't uh, AFL town, and I yeah. obviously grew up AFL. I was um, my family obviously been around the club for a long, long time, and it's like, what is going on here? It's an hour away, one hour flight away, and mm. not one person cares about AFL up there. So mm. Um, mm. it was a huge shock, and the. Well, the the good thing was when I we come back to Melbourne pretty much every second week anyway. We got to play in Melbourne, and you remember the times, and you uh, and you enjoy those moments even more. So knowing how lucky I was, because at Collingwood it was normal fifty thousand. That's you wouldn't get out of bed for less than that. So mm, um, true. That's the sort of difference. And I actually was. You actually speak to the younger Giants boys about the fact I played in front of so many big crowds and and it was just so constant and they're like, oh, that'd be amazing. I'm like, well, it is. But yeah. you take it for granted when when it happens every week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. It's good to hear you still get the, the drink card and the, the ushering past the red rope when you're in town though, Heath. Yeah. No. That, that's the main thing. Um, <laughs> if we bring it back to kind of what's happening at Collingwood at the moment and we will go back shortly and delve into um, some of the other uh, big moments in your career, but you weren't just good good one on one, Heath. As Damo mentioned in the introduction, you were also a conductor of the backline um, in any team you were a part of. You're an elite pointer, and you could orchestrate a defence at the most critical moments within a game. In other words, you knew what a winning defence looks like. What's your opinion of the 2022? Magpie defence, and how do they compare to the likes of Shaw, Johnson, Reed, Maxwell, Brown, O'Brien, Tuvi? It's funny because there's there's actually been few comparisons um, because apart from obviously myself, there wasn't many rock stars in our back line. Um, they're all sort of, you know, the old blue-collar workers and everyone had come from different parts and um different mm. places and we all sort of sort of bottled together and I think that's why we did um that group it was just we worked so well together it's the old theory goes and I didn't want to use any token AFL lingo but the old know your old player role we mm. pretty much had that down to a T because obviously I was the like I said the rock star there and then you've got Presti who just <laughs> took the fist out there and spoils and then you've got Maxi who is not the best AFL footballer in the world and definitely not the best kick in the world. So he would just handball the ball to me. Um, Heritier would run and carry. Tuvi would lock down. Um, ben Johnson would kick helicopters. All these sort of things. <laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> uh, mould in a group that were just very, very good together. And um, I think the balance that the, the Pies backline have now, it's pretty similar. They're not like... I was, we were talking about the All-Australian team the other day and I'm like, don't know if, even know if anyone's going to get in, but does that really matter? No. Hmm. Um, they all just know their role and play their role and it's it's very similar. I think back lines are normally made up. Most back lines are made off that, but the best ones 
um, will constantly do it and they will not um, veer off that line. And, and that's what we did for, for a pretty long period of time. And, um, yeah, we're a mixed bag, but yeah. we got the job done. You got the job done and more um, and we're forever grateful. It seems to me, Heath, that Malthouse, in terms of game plan, he was famous for going around the boundary. Um, what we're seeing at Collingwood today is McRae just with an absolute thirst and desire to go through the guts at any opportunity regardless of risk. How would the 2010 game plan stack up today, do you reckon? Uh, well, this is a little bit of a myth. Everyone always says, oh, Mick liked to go around the boundary line. He's The game plan was to go around the boundary line and, and it's like it's actually a myth because Mick always said to us, you can go through the middle if you want, but if you stuff it up, you're going to pop it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've got the balls to go through the middle and it pays off and all that, you know what? Mick just nods his head and you move on. But if you go through the middle and you turn it over mm. and it goes back the other way and they get a goal, expect the runner to be jogging out, expect to be on the phone to him. So, um, no, I think we found a pretty good balance. The boundary line mm. stuff is obviously it's it's a bit safer and we're all about a defence. The best defence wins premierships and and obviously yep. that, that helped us do it. Um, I think teams are a bit smarter now. They they can still go through the middle but set up well defensively and um, obviously flight is very aggressive in let's just go and, and I say to people, Collingwood go from the Collingwood team in 2022, go from minute one to minute 120 doing exactly the same thing and don't, whether up by five goals, down by five goals, they do the same thing over and over. And I think if you do that and you do that consistency, anything works. So um, it is good to see. It's better to watch. But then again, we were the best, we were the stingiest defence, stingiest mm. but in that same year in 2010, I think we were the mm. highest scoring team. So I'm not a stats mm. man, but someone told me that one day. <laughs> yeah, you're right though. Like um grand finals are won on really stingy defenses. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that, you know, full-fledged helter skelter game plan stands up in the tough moments. We're gonna see it this week. It's gonna be great to watch. I think as Collingwood fans, we really care what happens. We're just super excited and really, really invested in terms of um what we've seen this year. Now, looking back a little bit, so Eddie Maguire's on the record saying the fallout from um, your incident with Alan Didak was the catalyst that led to the 2010 Premiership win. Now, he's also on record as saying that an acoustic music set by Noiseworks frontman John Stevens also led to the 2010 Premiership win. <laughs> Which one was it, Heath? <laughs> I reckon if you went through um, every interview Eddie's ever done, there'd be a <laughs> different types of reasons why we... We won that game. Um, he did say he did say there was a set by John Stevens after the drawn grand final that settled the nerves. Do you remember that set? Were you there? I was there. We went to the um, <laughs> casino um, <laughs> after the drawn yep. grand final and made sure the whole team mm. went there. I think the story goes that nineteen seventy seven. Yep. Drawn grand final, my old man played in. Um, they didn't go to the aftermatch function. They come back yep. by 70 points after yeah. that. Yep. Mick, yep. Mick, not a superstitious person at all. Um, didn't mention it, that, that at all. So um, we went to the function. Um, I couldn't even tell you if John Stevens was there, let alone if he was playing. Uh, <laughs> I do remember I was very, very keen to <laughs> eat my dinner and go home and get some rest because it was a, it was a big week. It was a big day. So... Um, yeah. I'm not 100% sure that played a part. Maybe <laughs> it was the fact that 
18 of the 22 guys, me not being included in those 18, didn't really perform to the best of their ability. And the fact that if one, two, or maybe even three of those guys did the next week, we would probably mm. win. Uh, yeah, that might have played a small part in in the reason why we won two ten. Yeah, and so is there any truth to the first statement, which was the the catalyst being that that incident, um, as in it, it galvanised the 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 squad. It's a bit hard to put the finger on that one. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because um, no one likes to do the wrong thing and get caught. Um, if, you're in, um, <laughs> if you're in football teams, the last thing you do or you want is cameras in yeah. front of yeah. the club on a Monday morning because you th- yep. automatically think you've done something wrong, not just yep. the one person. You're just stressing about, oh, it could be me. I'm yep. like, oh, what, what did I do? So um, I don't think it 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 helped um, mm. us win the premiership, but it definitely it definitely brings groups together. I think uh, yeah. the bond, our group was tight and we were tight yeah. because we did everything together. Um, but yeah, yeah it's it, it, it might have played a little, little part, but right. I don't think it's ideal. Just just on that, I always thought the Lexus Centre should have had an underground car park just for the amount of door stopping and you know, incidents that happened during that period. Just if you drove your Lexus underneath and then just took a lift up, you'd maybe... I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an architect, but I maybe would have. I actually don't understand why no club has an underground car park. Like every yeah. club, like they just drive in the car park and then they have to walk. It's crazy, isn't it? They have to meters. walk 50 meters. Yeah, yeah it's, it's insane. At every single club, it's like we've got to we've got to lift our game, get to like Premier League style where we're driving Bentleys in and. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like that. And you got your Halleck chopper in. I remember you guys when you used to train on Gotcha's paddock. You'd you'd walk half a kilometre. You remember that? That's I think so. Da- Daisy Thomas used to ride a bike between the Lexus Centre and that, you know, punt road oval. It's it's a it's a long hike, and um, then <laughs> it was it was the fitness guy getting us a little bit of extra cake <laughs> yeah. legs, yeah. but um, it was actually it was actually not too bad. You're walking over together, you're sort of having a bit of a chat on the way there. On the way back, not as good after you've you've gained a preseason yeah. session and you're cooked. Travis Cloak was ahead of his time parking his Hummer in Gary Pert's car park, though. <laughs> no, it was that close. If that car was that big, I think he parked it in three different car parks and one of them happened to be Gary Pert. So it's a big car. I think he might have got someone else's car, but it's just gone over three yeah. different car spots. Um, yeah, the big Hummer, big uh, Trevor, Hum Dis. It was, the number plate was Hum Dis, which is always um, very <laughs> Gold. So, Heath, a lot's been made and you've been asked this this type of question before, but when we put it out to our listeners what they wanted to know, it's a topic which always comes up. A lot's been made of the Malthouse-Buckley succession debacle and how it might have proved a distraction for the team and cost us a premiership or more. But what we're wondering is why the hell didn't Malthouse move Tarrant or to Hawkins? <laughs> it's, um, it's an interesting point. Um I may or may not have given a little bit of stick to uh, Ben Reid after that grand final loss, after a few beers under the belt. Uh, <laughs> I think, honestly, the pivotal moment, and it sounds silly, but an injury to the opposition was nearly the pivotal moment. Really? Um, Pods Yadley went down with mm. the shoulder, yep. sort of had everything um, everything under control, I, I would say, yep. a little bit. Um, and then... 
they restructured their fall line a little bit more and and things panned out the way they did. But honestly, 2011, yes, we did win the premiership, but it was the most dominant year I've ever been mm. involved in. Um, mm. We were going into games thinking by how much, not not if we're going to win or lose. It was by how much. And um, that we lost three games of the year, all three to Geelong. One was a grand final. Was it the success we wanted to know? Was it a successful year? I still think it was. So um, disappointed to only fin- finish with one premiership, but I'll tell you what, one's better than none. And I think we've said it a lot on this podcast, Heath, but if you're only enjoying football for premierships, you're going to have a, a pretty ugly time of it over a long period and you have to enjoy the ups and downs. And that era and being a supporter in the outer during that era, really from 2007 to 2012, was just golden. You know, I think we're grateful we snuck away with one, but you can't be Beggars can't be choosers. You know, we, we, we got over the line in 2010 and um, unfortunately it wasn't to be uh, again. But, yeah, interesting point uh, you bring up about Pod Seattle. I remember being at the ground and just feeling it was too good to be true and it felt like the narrative had swung in our favour and being Collingwood, that's not always that's not always the best thing because <laughs> when you think you're over the line, you're probably in the biggest danger. Um We've got a, a question from Dame. I might just take this one. Um, Pie hard listener Nada or Nada was interested how he, how Heath's exit went down and how he truly feels about it. And I guess our interpretation of that is you obviously departed the club um, 2013 under acrimonious circumstances, and your departure left a cultural void for many years to come. If we're being honest, is there any residual bad blood? Or awkwardness between you and the club, or you and um, your ex-coach Bucks. Um, oh, to be honest, the the exit wasn't great. It wasn't what I thought. Um, being a semi-control freak, which means I'm definitely a control freak. Um, you just sort of expect everything to go the way it is. And um, for me, when I got told I was, I was looking to be traded, it was sort of out of my control. Um, and I was very uncomfortable with that, along with the fact that it was a club I grew up with. It was a club I loved. I won a premiership and all my mates were there. So for me, that was that was probably the hardest bit. Um, do I is there any like sort of bad blood with the club? Not at all. Um, time sort of heals all wounds. Um, with the old coach, he's not my mate. Um, to be like brutally honest, like I'm not gonna as they say, it's harder to lie than it is to tell the truth, but um, he's not my mate. Do I like him? Would I catch up with him for a coffee? I doubt that um, very much so, um, but you can't like everyone. No no coach loves every single one of his 45 players on a list. Um, we went about things differently, like I was talking about being semi-professional. Mm. You could say Bucks was ultra-professional. Um, is that why we didn't get along? Probably not. Difference of opinion? Definitely, both probably hard-headed and stubborn, definitely. Um, there's no doubt about that. I'm the first to admit I'm, I'm never wrong, and even if I am, I won't tell you. Um, those sort of things in football environment, it, it happens. It's not ideal, but um, to be honest, again, the best thing I did was was go to go to the Giants for probably for myself and to mature a bit more and to, to try and help grow another club and I played some of my best footy there. So was I filthy at the time? Yes. Am I filthy now? No. Um, 
I probably should give Bucks a, a beer or two because he was the reason why I went there and, and had success. Um, up, mm. But would I have liked to have stayed at Collingwood for seven years and play 325 games and and beat mm. my uncle Tony's games record in a black and white jumper? That probably would have been good too. Um, mm. But I can't hold – you don't hold grudges forever. There's, there's actually no point. But at the time, an angry 27-year-old male um, wasn't happy with – what was going on, but I had to grow up. It seems to us, Heath, that there's different types of coaches and Malthouse perhaps had the emotional intelligence to understand that each player is an individual and, and has different kind of motivational needs. And we're seeing today, I think McRae is trying, at Collingwood is trying to celebrate individuals and what they bring to the team. When you look at someone like Jack Ginevan, he talks about that a lot. Where are you in terms of coaching and leadership um, how important is it today, you know, with the really young blokes coming through to allow them to be themselves? Oh, it is. It's the most important thing. And um, I think even back in the day, you could, like today it's obviously more highlighted, the fact that you've got to let these guys be themselves. But um, for me back in the day, the, I did my level two coaches course and like, I was stumped because I'm like, you got to have a sort of philosophy. What's your coaching philosophy? And I was like, I found it really hard. I'm like, well, what made me the player I am? I said, well, most of it was like instinct and the instinct I had growing up and the flair that I used to play, <clears throat> excuse me, footy with. But I still needed a little bit of structure around that in terms of like a game plan. And then I used my flair. So my coaching philosophy is a structured flair. So you let players play, give them a little bit of guidance, a little bit of a game plan, but mm. they get drafted because they're good mm. players. They get you don't. There's no point in drafting a kid and then teaching him how to play footy or coaching him how to play footy because he already knows. So for me, that mm. sort of structured flair, and I think a lot of coaches these days are starting to get a hold of that. So, like, all right, these are the guidelines, but like I was talking about going along the boundary line, you know what, I might go through the middle here and just mm. it happens and it comes off and then – Everyone's like, that was amazing. If I second guess myself, I'm going to make a mistake. And you don't want to, you don't want to second guess yourself because usually in football, the first decision is the right decision. So yeah. um, that's mm. my theory. And I think from what I've gathered, I've, I've sat in on one meeting with Flyman um, down at Collingwood. That is what he does. He lets players be players. He lets characters be characters. And he just gives you a little bit of guidelines. Structured flair sounds like the uh, multi-platinum blockbuster follow-up to semi-professional. <laughs> if we're if we're talking titles, I love it. I love it. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's great to see you were down there, weren't you? Um, a, a jumper presentation earlier this year, and, and that's all part of the Collingwood mystique this year, which is honouring the jumper. And there's been, you know, your uncle's been down there. They had that. Um, very famous documentary at the start of the year where the players went on a camp and they started at Victoria Park and you can see McRae's really big on that. Um, so it's, it was great. You know, it's great to see you back back at the club. We've, we've seen Leon return, mm. um, Cracker. We've seen all of these champions of the Collingwood Football Club come back and be welcomed back and be involved in, in sort of the handover to the next generation. So it's really cool to see. A couple more questions, Heater, and then we'll uh, let you get back to the bar. Um, so teams like Geelong and Hawthorne have in the past had success underpaying their stars for the good of the collective. Now, Collingwood, on the other hand, has a recent history of overpaying individuals and driving the club spreadsheets into a terminal fuckrag of red ink. 
Have you ever been part of a discussion inside a club about players taking less money to keep the group together? And is that kind of selfless culture required for sustained levels of success in the AFL? Yes, I have been involved in that sort of conversation and I don't know if you were there or you just know the story, but uh, no. we were in, We there's a fair group of us, a fair chunk of our, uh, our senior sort of players, I think it was 2009, um, the club came to us and said we want to get a Ruckman and we want to get a midfielder and that was... Darren Jolly and Luke Ball. Uh, mm. It's going to be hard to. Obviously, we've got some good players that had some success. It's going to be hard to get these guys in um, without a bit of sacrifice from this group here. So, um, I was one of the ones that said no. I want to keep all my money, but the other guys sort of outweighed me. So um, <laughs> the, the sacrifice was made, but not necessarily like taking 25 grand, 50 grand off your wage, but it's just moving things around so that we can yeah. actually do it. And I wouldn't hear, you wouldn't hear much about that these days. Um, mm. It's more like push it back, push it back, push it back, push it back, and then that's the point <laughs> it'll be a shitstorm. Um, implodes. But you're, you're spot on. And and we everyone always asks the question, is like, what did Geelong do down there? Seriously, their list yeah. is mm. the best list. They've got the deepest list. They've got... Good young kids coming through, old guys, and how do they fit all these guys in? And you got up the top, up north, you've got even like Gold Coast and that who have got a lot of young kids and not as much depth and all of the above, and it you, they're having salary cap issues. So it, it is if if you if you play for the money, um, then you're not going to have success. So you talked about you got to invest in the club and invest in your success because. You ask a player at the start of his career, do you want to come out of this a millionaire or premiership player? Most of them will say premiership player. Well, mm. yeah, it doesn't make sense if you're holding the, the club to ransom and um, yep. trying to take all the money so that you lose a player or lose a couple of players. And um, it is a balancing act because you sometimes you do feel like you want to, you have to look after yourself. Um, but team success is the best success, and there's no more fun than winning games of football. There's no more fun than um, winning finals, playing in finals, winning grand finals. So a small sacrifice for um, the bigger game. So how many drink cards did you sacrifice for Darren Jolly and did he transfer some of his winnings from the block all those years later? <laughs> well, I think I think we made up with it for with a bit of um, prize money after the grand final. So I was like, it's sort of balanced out. <laughs> Leveled out. We got to play two grand finals that year, so it was even better. So we doubled it <laughs> there. Um, it all worked out um, very well, but <laughs> it's funny how things pan out, definitely. Now, Hita, we've glossed over uh, or barely glossed over your time at GWS, but you're a phenomenal leader when you went north. Um and and we're not we're not here to really dive into those lost years, um, but having you back at the club, as Damo said, welcomed back with open arms and and by our supporter group, who's our listeners, who are very excited that we're having you on. Um, it, it's been very generous of you to give your time, and I've got I've got another question just to kind of finish off. You've been a part, Hita, of many massive massive games in September for both clubs. Um, for many, the smother of the millennium comes to mind but you are actually a reliable uh, performer in big games over the course of, of a long, long career. 
in 2022, it'll be the first final series for a lot of young magpies we're seeing coming through. What's your advice for coping with the hype that surrounds Collingwood and more generally the pressure of the big stage where reputations are made? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because um, going, going back to talking about the Giants, the Giants finals campaign where we played in that grand final, our finals campaign, the previous three games to the finals, we were just like, yeah, we're going. This is the plan. We're going out there. We're going to do it. Let's do it. Got to the grand final, whether we were just genuinely cooked from the previous three weeks or not, we we spoke a lot about just enjoy the moment, enjoy enjoy everything there. Um, looking back now, I don't think that was the – it might not have been the right approach. Um, mm. Yes, you want to enjoy the moment, but you're there to do a job. Um, so for me, it is all right. You celebrate the fact that you got into the finals after round twenty-three. That should be done and dusted by now. The focus is purely on, um, obviously, the game at hand. And I touched on it before. It's it's know your role, play your role. Don't don't change anything you've done um, previously. Yes, the intensity is going to lift um, a little bit, but. Adapt on the run, and you and, and good players do that. They adapt on the run, and you understand after the first five minutes, and then after the ten minutes, what that looks like, and and you just got to adapt on the run. So for me, it's like finals is yes, you got a double chance, but finals football is there's nothing like it. You can't really describe it unless you unless you've played it. So enjoy the moment previous, enjoy the moment after. But for those two hours, it's about getting our job done and the best way to get our job done is by doing what you've done to get yourself in that position um not one player is going to win the game um for collingwood unless it's probably jamie elliott um as it's mm-hmm. so many times this year but if you play your role and whatever part that is then as a collective you'll get the job done and yeah um it is a it is a unique Unique experience playing playing finals and um, saying people people saying it's just another game. It's definitely not. Um, and I was, I said this I think on when I was uh, on radio or something not long ago. <laughs> it's like the Bulldogs will go into this final series and they'll just be um, we've got nothing to lose. Throwing out the old we've got nothing. To lose. Mm-hmm. You do. You've got a final, which means if you lose that final, you're out. So yeah. Um, all those, all those um, comments and themes and theories—they're all well and good, but go out there and play your role. Like a wild ex-girlfriend with nothing to lose, dangerous. <laughs> Look out! <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Heater. I think that's a really um, awesome way to finish up. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. We appreciate you coming on to Pie Hard, giving us your time, splitting your time between Sydney and. Um, Melbourne making all the deals, investments, and all of that stuff. Uh, we we still watch your career off the field. Still tune in every uh, every week. Uh, love what you're doing with um, with Daisy, and yeah, it's just a real joy. We hope to have a beer with you one of these days at the football. Um, always a always a friend of Piehard, so very grateful. Appreciate your time, and I know our listeners will uh, will have really enjoyed that chat. And we look forward to the book coming out. Now, if there's any publishers listening. Or anyone that does have a foot into the uh, the publishing world, uh, hit us up. I reckon that would be a, a tome. I reckon that would be a very awesome um, a book we could get moving. So. and ghostwriter because um, 
<laughs> my my ex girlfriend says to me she hates the fact that I write a text message and I just don't put any commas in because whatever <laughs> whatever's whatever's in my head I just want to get it out as quickly as possible yeah. and I just don't put commas. So she's like, I don't know if I can take a breath the whole time you're writing a text message. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely need a ghostwriter if I'm writing a book. Oh, the book could just be a one stream of consciousness yeah. chapter. <laughs> you just, just, do a hey, reads it. <laughs> just do a just do a hey Siri next time you're driving and just let it all spew out. Um that would be a it'd be a good audio book. We'd love to we'd love to listen to that, Hita. Um like I said, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. That was crazy. This ladies up in here tonight. No fighting. We got the refugees. No fighting. Over here. No fighting. It's Oh, baby, when you talk like that, you make a woman go mad. So be wise and keep on reading the signs of my body. I'm on tonight, you know my hips don't lie. It's right, all the attraction, attention. Don't you see, baby, this is perfection. Hey, girl, I can see your body moving, and it's driving me crazy. And I didn't have the slightest idea until I saw you dancing. And when you walk up on the dance floor, nobody can let it go. The way you move your body, girl. and everything's so unexpected. The way you right and left it, so you can keep on shaking it. Never really knew that she could dance like this. Oh baby, when you talk like that, you make a woman go mad. So be wise and keep on reading the signs of my body.